on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's Tuesday, the fifth day of June. PFT PM back after a temporary hiatus. I was in California for a few days. Thought about doing it on Friday from my phone. The day got away from me. It had nothing to do with sativa, indica, or any other strains. I don't even know when I'm in a weed legal state where to buy it. I put dispensary into the map function on my phone, and the nearest one was like 15 miles away. So, that's too far. I didn't have a car. And I wasn't going to take an Uber to the dispensary. So, I put out the possibility via a Twitter poll on Friday. The question, what should I do? Should I sample the local agriculture? Should I tape the PFTPM podcast from my hotel room or both? I ended up doing neither. I went off the board and did neither. But we're back and we're going to keep doing the PFTPM podcast in the afternoons. I have a decision to make starting June 25. That's when the four-week hiatus begins for radio and TV. And I don't know what we're going to do about PFTPM because this all started last year as something I did at the end of the day to ensure that there would be something on the feed for PFT live podcast. That's how this all started while I was on my four week hiatus last year. So maybe I'll convince them or at least try to convince them to let me just do one of these a day and it'll go on the PFT live feed and on the PFT PM feed just to keep PFT live rolling, just to keep PFT PM fresh and the people on the PFT live side may get a surprise because I may say shit or piss from time to time and they won't be ready for that. They may think something went horribly wrong on an FCC regulated radio station. Something went horribly wrong between the Eagles and the White House or horribly right, depending upon your perspective and your overall political objectives. And here's what I'm going to do. Obviously, I've got to talk about that issue first. I'm going to talk some, and I've got a 20-minute or so interview with Oliver Luck, the new commissioner of the XFL. Give me sentences I would have never dreamed I was going to say 24 hours ago for 200, Alex. But we'll start with the news of the day. Oliver Luck interview, and then I'll answer some of your questions. But we already have 20 minutes in the can, so I'm going to try not to babble on and on for too long because there's a lot to get to. I'm really not surprised that the White House canceled the visit from the Eagles, especially if we accept the fact that, you know, no one was going. Because ultimately, this was about the same reason that the cancellation of the Golden State Warriors visit last year was about. There's a magic number that once the expected attendance dips below it, the president just says, screw it, I'm not doing it. Last year, it was clear there were going to be enough Golden State Warriors who refused to attend the traditional celebration of the NBA championship that they uninvited the Golden State Warriors. And this year, it became clear that there were not enough Eagles that were going to attend, so they uninvited the Philadelphia Eagles, plain and simple. That, that's the reason. And trying to make it about anything other than that is 
disingenuous, is inaccurate, is false, is bullshit, is, oh, I don't know, you could use any synonym you want, but ultimately, it's about politics. Politics isn't about the truth. It's never about the truth. It's about saying what works for you in that moment. And if it ends up being truthful, well, that's a coincidence. Here it is, September 23, 2017. Going to the White House is considered a great honor for a championship team. Stephen Curry is hesitating, therefore, invitation is withdrawn, exclamation point. That was a day after the get that son of a bitch off the field comments made in Huntsville, Alabama by the president. And it's never been about the anthem with the Golden State Warriors because the NBA players cannot, by rule, by CBA agreement, which is redundant, collective bargaining agreement, agreement, by CBA, cannot protest during the anthem. It's never about that. This is about enough of the Warriors not going to the White House to get the invitation withdrawn. And it's about not enough of the Eagles being expected to go to get it withdrawn. And LeBron James apparently has already said, whoever wins the NBA Finals this year isn't going. Now, I don't know whether an invitation gets extended and then withdrawn in a huff. I don't know. But apparently LeBron James has said that neither team will go. Where I know the, it's like the, the Warriors are going to have a change of heart. Oh, we'll show those Eagles. We'll go. They already didn't go. And if the Cavaliers somehow dig out of their 2 nothing hole, I doubt that LeBron James is going to be defied by his worthless teammates. And I say worthless as it relates to their basketball contributions because by all appearances, and I'm not following it all that closely, it seems like it's LeBron James and a cast of none who are taking on the Golden State Warriors. So what will be the political spin and look political sp- i mean it just it's been around forever it's the way it works it's just the way it is politicians take the truth and they spin it into something that is advantageous to them regardless of whether it's a democrat or a republican in office or some third party not that that's ever going to happen anytime soon but that's the way it works you take reality and you twist it you make it fit your agenda. There were more tweets today from the president. Where is it? Let's see. We have had many championship teams recently at the White House, including the Chicago Cubs, Houston Astros, Pittsburgh Penguins, New England Patriots, Alabama and Clemson National Champions, and many others. National Anthem and more great music today at 3 p.m. Okay. The White House with the United States Marine Band and the United States Army Chorus honoring America. NFL, no escaping to locker rooms. That's what's weird about this. Like, the Eagles have said nothing about the anthem policy, but this suddenly became, well, again, it's not weird. It's predictable. It's obvious. Because the president has found something that works, so he's going to keep using it. No matter how false it is. And again... That applies to any president, any politician. How many honest politicians are out there? Show me an honest politician and I'll show you a politician that can't win an election. Because at some point, you compromise. I saw, 
a snippet over the weekend when we were getting ready for the Matt Casey wedding that we went to on Saturday. I was flipping around the channels. I didn't even realize what it was. Apparently, there's an HBO documentary about John McCain. And there was a clip of McCain in the aftermath of the 2000 presidential primary. And he was back in South Carolina. And he said, I was asked before the South Carolina primary for my personal views on the flying of the Confederate battle flag on state property in South Carolina. And my response was, it's for the citizens of South Carolina to decide whether they want to do that. And he said, I avoided the question because I didn't want to share my personal view because I thought if I shared my personal view, I wouldn't win the election. I compromised my integrity. I said I was always going to be truthful with you, yada, yada, yada. Boy, how far we've come. If only politicians were lying about something that innocuous. It just seems like we're lied to about everything. They all lie. How do you clean that up? I don't know. Is there a candidate who goes into this process with the intent of being truthful and virtuous and they become corrupted? I've made this comment about many things in many contexts, but the question is, and I'll stick to a football context. How about receivers, diva receivers? I remember saying this 10 years ago with Terrell Owens and Chad Johnson, Ochocinco Johnson. Does the position attract the diva or does it create the diva, right? Do politics attract a liar or do they create a liar? Now, Donald Trump was already a liar, so he was perfectly suited to be a politician. And there is a certain amount of casual lying that you have to do. You have to be able to make what you are saying seem like you believe it. It's the George Costanza line. It's not a lie if you believe it to be true. And the president is hardly the only one. And the people around the president, it's spinning. It's lying. It's every word you can think of. And that's, that's what it is. That's where we are. And that is a nonpartisan observation. Bill Clinton lied. Hillary Clinton lied. They all lie. Hillary Clinton wasn't as convincing a liar as Donald Trump. That's why she lost, or at least one of the reasons why she lost. She couldn't make the American people, or at least enough of them, think that she was different than who she fundamentally was. And they didn't like her for who she was, and she wasn't able to cover it up with lies. She always had that, that smile that was kind of like, is this what I'm supposed to do? Like this? Smile like this? Does that work? Do they believe it? Do they believe this? You not, No? I don't know what else to do. That was always the vibe from her. God, what a sad state of affairs we're in that that's the best we could do. I remember feeling that way after the election, that regardless of who won, my God, what a horrible choice. And just think, if, if Hillary Clinton had won, what a nightmare the last year and a half would have been from the standpoint of somebody and his umpteen million Twitter followers constantly saying the election was rigged and we need to investigate this, we need to do that. Basically, Donald Trump would have been calling for everything that's currently happening as it relates to him and worse. He wouldn't have rested until her election was delegitimized and she was thrown out of office. And that's the great irony here because there are plenty of people who won't rest until Donald Trump has his election delegitimized and is thrown out of office. But again, it's just the nature of the beast. That's why we're here. 
And we can react and we need to react. People are like, why are you talking about it? Because it's news. Politics has intruded on football. I never wake up in the morning and say, gee, how can I make the content that I write, the things that I say, less about football and more about politics? How can I turn my website into a de facto political destination? I don't want that. The best metaphor I can give you, if you watch PFT Live today, you know where this is going. If it's Halloween and there's a ringing of your doorbell and you open the door and right before you is a paper bag that is lit on fire and it's fully engulfed and you know damn well that when you stamp that thing out, you're going to get shit all over your shoe. You know exactly where this is going. You've been there, you've done that, you've lit the bag a time or two. You still have to stamp the bag. You still have to put it out. You still have to deal with it. Even if you don't want to deal with it, you have to deal with it. That's how it works. That's why we spent two segments, well, one full segment, 7 7 a.m. Eastern today, the first TV radio segment of PFT Live, and then half of another segment at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. And then we talked about some of the intervening developments to wrap the show. And I did spend the first two radio segments on it. There were so many things to unpack. There were so many things to discuss. And right now, I'm really not ticking off any items on a to-do list. I'm just kind of engaging in a stream of consciousness. This is why we're in this bag of shit, trying to put the fire out and clean it off the porch before those damn kids put another bag of shit on the porch and light it on fire. Malcolm Jenkins chimed in today. The decision was made to lie and paint the picture that these players are anti-America, anti-flag, anti-military. We will continue to fight for impacted citizens and give a voice to those who never had one. Chris Long and Zach Ertz chimed in today because of what Fox News did, and they knew what they were doing. They apologized for it. That's what amazes me. The fact that they apologized for using B-roll, or it wasn't even B-roll, it was still frames, because they don't have the rights to use the B-roll. They had images of players kneeling, and it wasn't during the anthem. It was Eagles players taking a knee in prayer before the game, before any game. And even though they didn't say it, they meant to create the impression that there was widespread kneeling by the Eagles during the National Anthem. And you think about the Fox News viewer. And here's how it works. If you watch Fox News, you are looking for things that reinforce your pre-existing worldview. You're not watching Fox News to get an unbiased look at the world. No more than you watch CNN or NBC to get an unbiased, reasonable, rational look at the world. When we were driving home from the airport yesterday because I didn't pay much attention to what was going on over the weekend. And, and, and that was good. It's just nice to get a break from all the political discourse. I, I like to keep my eyes and ears on what's happening just because I feel like it's my duty to stay informed. And we've got the NBC connection. So I tend to gravitate toward MSNBC, but there are times when it's a little much. There are times when, come on, Like, one of the big themes yesterday was 
Can you believe Rudy Giuliani suggested that you could murder Jim Comey? The president can murder? The president's talking about murder? Only mob bosses talk about murdering their enemies. He was making a point. He was using an extreme example to make his point. And it was just over and over and over again. My wife was finally said, enough. I think we've heard everything we need to hear. And it's the same cast of characters that is constantly on there. And that's how it works. I'm sure Fox has the same cast of characters. But it was a little... A little much. Rudy Giuliani was making a point in a very clumsy way. He wasn't suggesting Donald Trump is going to put a bullet in James Comey. But oh my goodness, the president talking about murdering his political, we're a banana republic now. No. Rudy Giuliani said something over the top dumb to make a point that you can't indict the president. No matter what he does, he can't be indicted. There's a constitutional argument. And a lot of times you prove your argument with an extreme example. And this idea that the president could be indicted for whatever it is that he may be factually guilty of, and there's always a difference between factual guilt and legal guilt, the barrier to showing him legally guilty for anything may be this constitutional reality that he can't be indicted. So you make your point that he can't be indicted or prosecuted for whatever things may have otherwise been foisted upon him as a result of this Robert Mueller probe by saying, hey, look, even if he shot James Comey, the point is, hey, you know, if he fired him to obstruct this Russia investigation, well, he can't he can't be charged with it criminally. He could, he could have literally terminated James Comey. I'm sure that's the point that he was, oh, it doesn't matter if he terminated him to obstruct justice. He could have literally terminated him to obstruct justice, and he still can't be indicted. He can be impeached, but he can't be indicted. That was the point. But again, that, and, and obviously, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, they all have their own agenda that gets grafted onto the coverage. There is no play it straight political news network out there that I'm aware of. Right. And the problem is, it's not just I mean, we've seen the formula. It's one or two hosts who review the news through. It's almost like it's almost like it's it's the TV equivalent of blogging. You're reviewing the news and constantly, constantly making your opinion part of it, constantly opinion, opinion, opinion. It's not just someone reading news. For. An hour, and then someone else reads news for an hour. And if that was the case, it would be the same script with mild revisions over and over again. So they have these panels where people chime in and they analyze the news. And one hour, it's this group of three or four. The next hour, it's that group. And then another hour later, one of the ones that was on before is back again. And they have this one. And it's all it's all the same thing. And I, again, I assume it's the same on all three of the major network. I look, I don't even know what my point is. My point is it's all bullshit. <laughs> my point is everybody's full of shit. My point is everybody has an agenda. My point is everybody shades the truth to advance that pre-existing agenda. And to call bullshit when bullshit comes your way as part of the process of stamping out that burning paper bag full of Canine fecal matter. I'm going to say, well, here's where the bullshit is in this case. And it just so happens that in these various intrusions of the 45th president of the United States onto the NFL, 
a lot of the bullshit is coming from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Plenty of it's coming from 345 Park Avenue. The only players who aren't engaged in the periodic or persistent dissemination of bullshit are the players. The players are the only ones who are telling it straight. Because they're not politicians and they don't aspire to be. And if they did, that's when they... See, again, does it attract a liar or does it develop a liar? Because I'm convinced, and I hate to feel this way. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Point out to me one politician who has succeeded at a high level, national office or high state office, by always telling the truth. George Washington, I cannot tell a lie. Did you chop down the cherry tree? I cannot tell a lie. Well, no, you're holding the axe and the trees down. Of course, you're caught. But nowadays, a successful politician would have a story as to how the tree got blown down. And I'm just cleaning up the mess. That's why I have the axe. The tree was knocked down by a windstorm, and I'm just doing what I can to separate the the trunk from the roots. I don't know. Anyway. The, and the White House had another statement today. I, I'm not even getting... I don't care. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. All right? Anybody who is fair-minded and who has common sense knows what went on here. And I wish... And, and, and again, we need to be able to step aside from our own partisan views and acknowledge when... Wouldn't, wouldn't the world be a better place if we were all just committed to spotting and pointing at bullshit when bullshit comes? Bullshit's inevitable. It's just... Uh, it's just frustrating that people will say... How do you get to that point where you can say something that is blatantly untrue with a straight face? How do you how do you become comfortable with that? Do you want to become comfortable with that? And that's one of the reasons why I left practice of law at a law firm and decided to to handle my own business, handle my own practice because when you work for a firm, there will be times when there's an institutional client. There's a company that gives a, a lot of work to your firm and you've got to handle the case and you can't always convince the client that the facts aren't really on your side. The law isn't really on your side. And I really don't want to go into court and make this bullshit argument. When you represent yourself, you get to pick and choose your causes. You get to pick and choose your clients. And all right. I'm only taking the cases I believe in. I'm only taking the cases where I can go into court and I can make the arguments with a straight face, believing them. You know, the best lawyers can slide from one side of the case to the other, and they can get themselves to believe one reality versus another. I guess our current president would have been one hell of a great lawyer because he could have slid into any argument on any side of the case, and he would have made it very convincing. Some would call it a skill. I don't know. Maybe it's a curse. I don't know what it is. But that's why we are where we are. Because it happens so blatantly. And that's what causes politics to intrude on football. And that's what forces me to deal with it. Well, just ignore it. Well, how can you ignore it? How do you ignore it? If you're going to cover the NFL in a comprehensive way, and there are aspects of the NFL that become major news stories... How do you ignore it? How? 
I don't want this. I don't want the anthem controversy. I don't want the Colin Kaepernick collusion grievance. I don't want the Eagles being disinvited to the White House. I don't want it. Trust me, I don't. But believe me. (laughs) Believe me, says the liar. I don't. But here's where we are. All right. Obviously, that's the big story in the NFL. Bill Belichick addressed the media today about Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. Gronkowski spoke to the media today. He says he com- he considered retirement just to see where his mind and his body was. When he was asked about getting a new contract, who wouldn't want one, he said. And we're a week or two past the point where a new contract could be given to Rob Gronkowski. Now, if he would have stayed away from the mandatory minicamp, I think the total fine is like a hundred grand. So he's there and Brady's there. The, the real question I have, especially as to Brady, how's he going to be in the meeting rooms? How's he going to be on the practice field? Is he salty? Is that, because I think Brady, I think Brady isn't, as capable as a politician would be of hiding his true feelings. And if he is pissed at Bill Belichick, I don't know that he can really keep that bottled up. And my guess is Tom Brady's paying close attention to Bill Belichick to see if he makes some sort of a snide comment about the guys who weren't here for OTAs. Now, they still have more OTAs on the back end. A lot of teams do their mandatory minicamp at the end of the OTA Season. I think it's smart to do it halfway through because if you do have guys who aren't showing up, they come for the mandatory minicamp, they're around their teammates for a few days, and they decide, well, maybe I'll just stick around. So we'll see. Will Brady stick around? Will Gronk stick around? We'll see. Gambling is getting started. Delaware beat New Jersey to the punch. New Jersey was supposedly ready to go. Well, Delaware makes it happen. And Governor John Carney showed up to make the first bet. A sawbuck on the Phillies to beat the Cubs tonight. Six to ten states are expected to have legalized gambling programs by the time the NFL regular season begins. That's one. New Jersey's coming. West Virginia is on deck as well. We'll see where that goes from here and how much it affects the NFL. That's one of the things that I'll be talking to Oliver Luck about, the new XFL commissioner. That's coming up in just a couple of minutes. Just a few more items before we get to that. I want to Extend my best wishes to Giants GM Dave Gettleman's beginning treatment for lymphoma. The team announced that today. Recently, I underwent an annual physical during which it was discovered I have lymphoma. Gettleman said over the past week, I've undergone more testing to determine the course of treatment, which is scheduled to start in the very near future. The doctor's outlook for the treatment and the prognosis is positive, and so am I. I will continue to work as much as the treatment process will allow. And as they know, when I'm not in the office, I'll be in... Constant communication with Pat Schirmer, Kevin Abrams, and the rest of our staff. And look, folks, this is the benefit, an example of the benefit of getting an annual physical. If you don't get one. Now, it's one thing to wait until you're 40, right? I remember in my mid-30s, I was going to go get a physical somewhere, and ultimately didn't go. And one of the reasons, and isn't it stupid to think this way? I don't want to find out. If there's something wrong with me, I don't want to know. Isn't that stupid? And, and I felt that way 18, 20 years ago. I don't want to know. 
Okay, you're, you're going to know. That's the thing. If there is something seriously wrong with you and you don't want to know, you're going to know. Eventually, you're going to know. And you're going to find out, in some cases, when it's too late to do anything about it. Something happened to me, and I don't know when it was, where that whole mindset flipped. And it may be that when I first started going to get an annual physical, and that was 2011. Once I got swept up in this full time and once I realized once you're on that treadmill, it's impossible to get off. I started to schedule a full one day physical. And it's really a half day physical. I go up to Pittsburgh. One of the Steelers team doctors does the physical. And yeah, they, they don't tell me anything. Trust me. <laughs> I've tried. I've tried, hey, well, you know, Doc, I'm coming up here and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm paying you to do this physical. You got any information for now? And, and I haven't even tried. It's, it's all, it's professional. I don't expect them to say anything. But anyway, I go once a year. And I think the reason I decided to go every year, no matter what, is because the first year I went, you do that little card where you have to put something on there, you know, back to the bag on the front porch. You <laughs> You, you get there and you smear. There's a smear involved. And it came back positive. There was blood in my stool. It's like, oh, great. Here we are. 46 and uh, colon cancer. That's just great. And I didn't want to do a colonoscopy. I mean, I went many years saying I don't want medication. I don't want any procedures. I don't want anything. I just want to just get old and I want to go to bed one night and I want to die. That's what I want. Well, we all want that, don't we? What we want and what we get are two very different things. So I quickly had the colonoscopy and Crohn's disease, classic formulation of the cells. I just didn't have many symptoms or any symptoms. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of people out there that have a mild case of Crohn's and they don't realize it because it gives you like pretty stinky gas. Right. And there's a lot of people I know with pretty stinky gas. And I remember at one point my wife saying to me, not long before I got diagnosed with Crohn's, I think th- something's wrong with you. Well, she was right. <laughs> something, so, There was something wrong with me. So uh, after that, it's like, well, this works. This whole process works because maybe the Crohn's would have morphed into something where I did have real symptoms and I had real problems. And you know, people struggle with that disease horribly and they need surgery and uh, mine is under control. And I've had how many colonoscopies? Three since then. Four total and last time full remission. So I'm a firm believer in getting on top of these things, getting that physical, getting the blood work, getting the colonoscopy when it's required. I saw they just changed the the recommended age from 50 to 45. I, I bet the health insurance companies went nuts over that. They don't want to pay for those any more than they already do. Now they're going to have to pay for them five years earlier. But you need those things. Colonoscopy is a breeze. My wife finally had hers. And I think she was ready to go back the next week and do it again. It was that easy. She was shocked how easy it was. And yeah, there's a chance of complication. But there's a chance you're going to walk out your front door and get run over by a bus too. There are certain things you need to do. The complication risk from a colonoscopy is far lower than the risk of ignoring your health, and getting a serious disease that could have been cured. So Dave Gettleman should be happy that he knows he has lymphoma because he had it. The only question was whether or not he was going to find out that he had it and he was going to do something about it. 
And now he got it sooner than he would have gotten it if he had waited to get to the point where, you know, I just haven't felt well for the last four months, Doc. I don't know. I didn't want to come in. I want to keep fighting. I want to keep going. I got things to do. But, you know, I just got to the point where I had to come in. So good for him, even though he has a disease that needs to be taken seriously. They got it early. Anytime they get it early, it's better. So follow that example. If you're not current, if you're on the wrong side of 35 or the right side of 35, as the case may be, when I think about the difference between my life before I was 35 and after, maybe it's the right side. But either way, if you're 35 or older, think seriously about getting an annual physical. If you're 40 or older, definitely get one. If you're 45 or older, you better be getting the colonoscopies as required. It may save your life. And it's not just for you. I mean, you can be brave and say, well, if I die, I die. You got people who are counting on you. Don't screw up their lives by not being around to live yours. All right, rant over. I'm going to press play now on the Oliver Luck interview, and I'll answer some of your questions from the PFTPM policy on the back end. Here is XFL Commissioner Oliver Luck right here on the PFTPM podcast. Well, we have been waiting for more news as it relates to the XFL, and the bombshell came on Tuesday morning. Oliver Luck, former West Virginia University Athletic Director, most recently with the NCAA, the first commissioner of the XFL, and he joins us now. Oliver, congratulations on the new job. How are you, pal? I'm well, Mike. Thank you. So, number one reason why you're making this change from your position with the NCAA to become the first commissioner of the XFL. Well, you know, Vince and I started uh, talking just a, a couple of months ago, and, you know, it's rare that uh, there's an opportunity like this for someone like me who loves football and has a real passion for it. It's been a constant in my life for, gosh, you know, almost 50 years now. Uh, but it's rare that an opportunity comes along where you've got all the right ingredients, I think, for success. And as I got to know Vince and his passion for the game, his entrepreneurial ability, which is, you know, phenomenal, uh, his track record of success, uh, the fact that this is a well-capitalized uh, venture. You know, I, I, I said to myself, this this is a, a really neat opportunity. And although I, I, as you know, Mike, I love college athletics. I'm a big fan of what all of our institutions do. Uh, but this this was very special. And uh, I think it was an opportunity I just I, I just couldn't pass up. So I think all the, all the ingredients are here to, uh, when we launch in 2020, to to offer great football, to build a, 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 a good business. And that's, that's very attractive. I'm always fascinated about how these relationships come to be. Did you reach out to them once you heard the XFL was returning, or did the XFL find you? No, so they, they reached out to, to me. I had met Vince years ago, you know, but it was, a, you know, uh, didn't really have a relationship with him. So I spent some time with him and, and some of the senior executives, you know, I, I uh, was impressed, quite honestly, with, with their passion, with their leadership, with the vision that they have. And again, it's, it's not often that an opportunity like this, you know, comes along for someone like me who has, a, you know, a real deep passion for the game and has immense respect for the game. Now, this is going to be challenging, no question about it. Uh, but that's also part of the, you know, part of the uh, attraction. So um, that's, that's how really that, that, that whole thing came together was, uh, was, folks uh, on Vince's side reaching out to me. Where will you be living and working as the commissioner of the XFL? Uh, so the, you know, the offices will be located in Connecticut. 
and uh, just you know across the border from from New York. So my wife and I, uh, we've been in Indianapolis now for about three and a half years. Uh, we'll get a you know get a townhome or apartment or whatever up in uh, up in that neck of the woods. Uh, thankfully, we've got a son, another son who's not too far away. He's uh, uh, starting his junior year in New Haven in school there, so uh, it'll be fun to to be fairly close to him. But we'll be living in Connecticut. Well, Oliver, the Alliance of American Football has been making news in recent weeks by announcing the various cities where it will have teams in 2019. When will we know where the XFL teams will be when the league returns in 2020? So last week uh, we sent out a uh, proposal to about 30 uh, cities, and uh, there's, there's timelines attached to those proposals. Uh, so you know, one of my most important priorities is uh, you know, to move that process along as, as quickly as we can and, and make decisions about uh, you know, the eight markets that we're going to be in, uh, you know, for the 2020 launch. So that's still a number of months away. I can't give you, you know, a more specific timeline than that. But the process certainly has already begun. And, and there's been a, a, a bunch of research, you know, really going back to probably the fall of 17 uh, that uh, Vince and uh, sort of a team of consultants have engaged in you know, fan research, demographic research, segmentation, all the geography. So we, we've got a, a good bit of research to, to, to help guide us in these decisions. How do we get Morgantown on the list? <laughs> uh, that's going to be a challenge, I think. I'm not sure Morgantown was one of the cities that received the proposal. As much well, as I love least... Morgantown, and you do as well. Is there going to be any hesitation, Oliver, uh, when it comes to putting XFL teams in cities where – the Alliance of American Football has essentially secured dibs? So I think what, what approach uh, has been taken and the approach that, that I, I certainly am going to take is to focus on XFL business and what we do and, and how we do it and our business plan, which I think is, is solid, and, and you know, not be concerned about, you know, really, quite honestly, anything, anything outside of, of our business. So um, I, I suppose that's a roundabout way of saying that we're going we're gonna to focus you know, in a very singular fashion on what we think is appropriate for, for the league and not uh, really spend time worrying about what any, any other group may be doing. The last time around, the XFL lasted one year. Why do you believe it will be different this time? I think there are a couple of reasons. One, I think uh, that Vince... Uh, in a very sort of clear-eyed way, you know, analyzed the, the, the original XFL. And I think, uh, you know, realized that uh, there were a number of things that uh, needed to be done better, right? Clearly, uh, there was a belief that uh, the quality of play simply wasn't, you know, at the point that it needed to be, particularly when, when you considered, you know, that uh, there was, you know, national television. So we're going to be very, very focused, laser-like focused on making sure that, uh, as we prepare for a 2020 launch, and the good news is we have the time uh, to do this in a very sort of methodical manner, but very focused on producing a, a high level of play. We believe that uh, football is popular because people understand it in many cases in this country and want to make sure that we're offering a, you know, a great level of play. I think our business plan is, is solid. Uh, I think the capital structure uh, and that money, of course, is coming from Vince, who's got an incredible passion for the game. I think that's solid. So uh, all in all, I think that you know, lessons were learned uh, from, you know, from the original league. And uh, also, I think at the end of the day, Mike, it's a little bit of a different era in the sense of technology. 
and, and, and what we have available both from a health and safety standpoint for, for players, uh, for coaches in terms of, of, you know, competition on the field, for practice, for fan engagement. So I, I think I think it's, it's it's almost a different world if you think about what was around 2001 versus uh, you know today, and I think that's going to uh, be a real benefit for us. And it is for lots of the professional leagues that are trying to figure out how to better integrate technology into their you know, daily activities. When you talk about the quality of play, I mean the reality is you've got 32 NFL teams out there that gobble up a certain number of players. The AAF is going to have players. How does the XFL get a better quality of player, or is it more about the, the techniques, the rules, et cetera, that ensures the players you have will be more available to play because there'll be fewer injuries? Well, I, I think at the end of the day that the, the, the work that we're going to do uh, with, with you know, what Vince calls reimagining the game uh, is going to be very important because I think that's going to guide us to how we – we, we structure, you know, player acquisition, training camp, all, all those things that have a very important effect and impact on the quality uh, of the game. So I'm a believer that, that college football has increased dramatically the quality of the player that's uh, available right now. The pool is probably deeper than, than it's ever been, and that's in large part due to, you know, some of the successes at the, at the college level, both at big and small schools. So I think the player pool is clearly deep enough, and I'm a believer that uh, if we're smart, and again, if we have the time uh, to, go, to go through all this and be very methodical, I really think we can put together a structure uh, that will, will guarantee a relatively high uh, level of play. You know, pairing good players, and I think they're out there, pairing good players with, with really good coaches and good training techniques and, and rules that, that make sense, uh, but still being football, because at the end of the day, football is still football. That's what fans want to see. I think it gives us a real opportunity uh, when we launch in 2020 to have a high-quality uh, game, and that's ultimately what, what fans want to see, make it affordable and provide the quality, and I think uh, you know, that's going to help us enormously. Have any decisions been made about nuts and bolts rules, like the kickoff? The AAF isn't going to have it, for example. Have you started down that path of deciding – how the game will look, or is it still in this reimagination phase? Yeah, it's still in the reimagination phase. We're going to spend a good bit of time over the next couple of months, you know, with some of the brightest folks in the game of football, uh, you know, and, and others who are a little bit outside of the game but can can, uh, can help us with you know good, strong analytical thinking, and and figure out what what we really need to do to reimagine the game, and without sort of the, the traditional constraints, if you will, of of uh, you know the box in which football operates right now that's been developed uh, you know for many years so uh, that's that's very exciting I'm, I'm I'm immensely looking forward to that uh, but we you know none of the sort of specific decisions that have been made I can tell you two things we won't be doing one of which is the scramble <laughs> uh, you know from the original XFL and then the no fair catch rule as well will not be in place. Uh, those are, you know, those are things that uh, I think Vince feels feels very strongly about, based on uh, you know sort of his again clear-eyed analysis of of uh, the original XFL. And I spoke to Vince back in January when the XFL's return was first announced, and Vince mentioned Oliver as you did a few minutes ago, health and safety, but he also mentioned giving the fans what they want, and I think a lot of that depends upon which fans you ask and. 
And as we see the NFL change its game more and more and make its game safer and safer, there's going to be a segment of fans out there that if you ask them, what do you want? They're going to say, I want football the way it was played back in the 80s and the 90s. I want to return to a more uh, rough and tumble version of the sport, not with the fair catch being eliminated or the scramble returning because those were never part of 80s and 90s NFL football. But could you see this this uh, needle move in a direction where fans say, hey, we're fed up with the NFL being too safety conscious. We want old school football. Is that something that, that the XFL will listen to if the fans want it? Well, you know, I think, I think health and safety for our players is paramount, right? And that's, that's, that's very important. I think, uh, you know, you know, like you, I'm a lawyer, not a you know researcher or scientist, but, you know, I think that uh, the research that's been done, the focus that's placed on, on health and safety, particularly, you know, uh, brain trauma, health and safety is, has been, you know, very impressive and, and leagues, whether it's the NFL or whether it's, you know, college. Uh, and of course the college rules are used by most of the high schools. You know, they've, they've really taken that information. Some of those early findings are changing the rules or changing practice schedules, right. You know, eliminating two a days, those sorts of things. So I think by and large football fans support that. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to, to act responsible in, in, in that manner. Uh, but football at the end of the day is still football. And, you know, obviously, you know, it's a physical game. It's a, uh, it's a contact sport, collision sport. And, you know, I think those fans that enjoy that contact and collision, they'll, they'll see that. Uh, but we are committed, you know, to, uh, to making sure the game is as safe as it can be for our, our players. How present and prevalent will gambling be in what the XFL does, given that we're at the front end of this proliferation of potential state-by-state, sea-to-shining-sea gambling now that the Supreme Court has opened the floodgates? That's a good question and uh, far too early uh, for me to give any sort of guidance uh, on that. You know, the decision came down, what, three weeks ago or so. Uh, A lot of folks are looking at it. I think today, I think I saw a note today, uh, Delaware sports wagering goes into effect. Uh, But it's far too early to really have any kind of determination of what uh, what you know sports wagering, what sort of an effect it may have on the XFL. Clearly, as with all other professional sports leagues and and amateur sports leagues as well, uh, the most important thing is the integrity of the game, and, and by all means, we have to protect that as everybody does. But otherwise, it's very difficult to give any sort of a sense of what uh, what sort of impact it may have on on the XFL. As you screen the 30 cities that are under consideration, will it be a factor one way or the other if the city is in a state that already has legalized gambling from the perspective of in-stadium, in-game betting possibilities? Yeah, good question. We haven't really considered that at this point. Uh, it will be interesting to see you know, what, what states sort of jump on the bandwagon. It's almost too early to tell uh, because right now most state legislatures, as you know, are out. Uh, you know, aren't in session, and uh, a number of those states will next year, right? Uh, you know, when they when they go back into session, probably introduce bills. So it may be sort of an incomplete picture at this point. So not sure how important that factor is going to be as we begin to evaluate the responses from the 30 cities. What is the intended relationship or or the hopeful relationship with the NFL developmental league? Uh, no relationship, arm's length. What's what's your goal as it relates to having any type of relationship with the NFL? 
Well, first of all, I'll say that uh, in, in no way do we intend to compete with the NFL. I've, uh, I worked for the league, played for the league, got a son playing in the league, uh, you know, have lots of respect for the people that uh, have built the NFL and, and, and run the league. Uh, you know, we're going to focus on, on what we uh, believe we can do, we, what, what our market is, what our strategy and our tactics are. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. We hope to have a friendly relationship with not only, you know, the National Football League, but all the other sports leagues, uh, because uh, sports is a very important part of our, sort of, uh, you know, cultural and social fabric in this country. Uh, but in no way do we intend uh, the XFL to be any sort of a competitor uh, to the National Football League. You mentioned you have a son playing in the NFL, Andrew Luck, the Colts quarterback. A lot of Colts fans anxious to know how he's doing and whether he'll be good to go this season after 2017 saw him not play at all. Can you give us any update on how he's doing and whether you think he'll be good to go come week one? Well, I'll I'll give you a one-word answer on how he's doing, and that's fine. (laughs) And I won't elaborate on that, so I hope you can appreciate that. Well, fine can be interpreted a lot of ways. I, you know, I mean, how surprised are you that, that he hasn't been fine some 15, 16 months after what was supposedly routine shoulder surgery? Well, I, I, uh, I'd prefer not to comment, so I, I think you'll understand. But he's doing fine. Well, we, Thank you. Well we, well, we hope to see him back on the field soon, and uh, we look forward to seeing the XFL on the field. Let me just ask you a couple more quick questions, just as it relates to the mechanics of this. Uh, you've got time that you just spent with the NCAA. The NFL requires a three-year waiting period before a player can enter the draft after his high school class graduates. Will the XFL have a similar rule, or will it be anyone who's out of high school can come join the party? Well, once we get our sort of football operations staff you know, functioning, get, get people in place, uh, we'll talk about issues like that. No, so no, no decisions have been made. As you know, that's, uh, that's anchored in the CBA, right, the collective bargaining agreement between the union and management. And, uh, and certainly at 2020, we're not expecting uh, a unionized you know, workforce. Uh, but but that, that really is an issue that we haven't uh, begun to discuss at this point. What makes you the proudest about the things you accomplished during your time with the NCAA? You know, I'm, I'm a, as you know, Mike, a big believer in the values of college athletics, what what sports does for young people, what it does for these universities, right? Putting them on the sort of front page, you know, on television, on over the weekends and evenings with with sports broadcasts. So I'm a big believer in and uh, in, in the NCAA. Things do move slowly there, but, you know, and that's designed uh, to be the case you know, because it's a it's a big institution. College athletics is very important to this country. If I had to really to the point to one thing that uh, I'm very proud of is on the regulatory side, which is what, uh, where I spent my time. And, um, you know, I think we were able to begin the process. We're not completely there yet, but begin the process as we looked at uh, applying all the regs, right. And we're in a highly regulated business college sports, you know, that, that amidst all of the competing constituencies, uh, we needed to focus on one thing. And that was the student athlete, Right. Um, you know, there's lots of, again, competing constituencies, the media, the alumni, faculty, fans, coaches. But ultimately, we needed to begin to focus on what's best for uh, the student athlete, because that's the individual, the young man, young woman that uh, that really is most important, you know, the most important component in that system. And we've we've begun to sort of change our, our approach and really look at the value of that student athlete, and what's best for him or her, uh, you know, as, as a lot of these decisions get made that that has this 
significant impact on the lives of these young people. What's one thing you wish you would have gotten done while you were with the NCAA that you were unable to accomplish? Uh, good question. Off the top of my head, I really can't think of, of anything that I would have liked to have got accomplished. You know, there, there are a number of, sort of recommendations coming out of the Rice Commission uh, that, uh, you know, for example, this idea of certifying agents or advisors, right, for, you know, young, young men, basketball players in, in the high school space, in the pre-enrollment space. And that's a project that we were working on, which I think will, will you know, help, quote-unquote, clean up uh, a little bit of that non-scholastic pre-enrollment space, you know, the so-called AAU space. That was a fun project to get involved with, uh, you know, trying to implement uh, the recommendations from the commission. And, you know, it, it will happen. There's very talented people in Indianapolis at the NCAA. So uh, I'm, I'm, I've got all the confidence in the world will we'll figure that out and how to implement it properly. But that was, for example, a pretty fun project to work on because I think it would have helped helped young people have a much better idea of uh, what path they needed to go on to college or so directly into the professional basketball ranks. So back to the XFL, and then I'll let you go. Still on track to start February 2020. That's the plan, and it's full speed ahead in selecting the eight cities and getting the football rules and operations and procedures in place. Exactly. Well, well we, wish, we wish you all the best as you embark on that effort. Have you been working out with Andrew? Because I don't know. I, that guy's a beast now. Does he have you in the weight room trying to get you to keep up with him? <laughs> well, uh, I've been called a lot of things over the years, particularly as AD at WVU, but Beast is not one of them. So I'm not sure I can take any credit for him uh, looking like a beast. But he does, he does look pretty darn fit. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks again, Oliver. Congratulations. We hope to talk to you as this, uh, as this plan continues to unfold. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right. Thanks to Oliver Luck. I hope to be talking to him moving forward. I will be talking to... Charlie Eversall, the co-founder of the Alliance of American Football on Wednesday. And, you know, I've made this clear to the XFL, and I'll probably tell this as well to the folks from the AAF. I plan on covering both of these leagues unless and until it's clear to me that the people aren't interested. But I'm giving them a fair shake. I'm giving them a fair shot. And I'm intrigued by having football to cover in the NFL offseason. Again, it's better than talking about politics. Now, the NFL will still have plenty of reasons for us to cover it, but if there is more out there that we can talk about, that people care about, and, and we have ways of tracking and monitoring and seeing how the, the stories perform, and I need to start doing that as it relates to the AAF and the XFL, but I'm going to pay attention to the, the AAF and the XFL. I'm intrigued. The Alliance, is the Alliance for or the Alliance of? I don't like that whole alliance. I, I, maybe I'll talk to Charlie tomorrow about a better name. The AAF starts in February of 2019. The XFL starts in February of 2020. Eight cities to come for the XFL. Seven known for the AAF and one more still to come. I think it's going to be out on the West Coast because you've got four now clustered in the East Coast. Orlando, Memphis, Atlanta and Birmingham and West Coast. You've got Salt Lake City, Phoenix, San Diego. I think it's going to be one of those four. Maybe Las Vegas. They'll play at Sam Boyd Stadium. Get to Las Vegas before the NFL. Although I think the AAF is a little more 
conscious of the NFL than the XFL would be. I think the AAF really wants to have a great relationship with the NFL. One of the things I'll ask Charlie Ebersol is, is this, and I'll try to think of a tactful way to ask it, but it feels to me like they're trying to get the, uh, they're trying to get the NFL eventually interested in buying it once they show that they can make money. All right, time to answer some questions. How will the relationship, this is from the PFTPM Posse, how will the relationship between Trump and Vince McMahon shape the XFL? Trump's a WWE Hall of Famer and regularly appeared on screen. Linda McMahon is a member of his administration. If Vince goes full-on pro-Trump with the XFL, how bad will it hurt? I, I don't think it matters because the XFL isn't apples to apples with the NFL. They don't want to compete with the NFL. That's what Oliver Luck said. And also... Yeah, I still had this nagging feeling that the fans are going to say, we want rough and tumble old school football. And when you listen to guys like Oliver Luck talk about it, it reinforces what Vince McMahon said early on back in January, that that they are going to embrace health and safety. And I don't think you can reconcile an embrace of health and safety with a return to old school football where you've got dangerous tactics and techniques. PFTPM Posse, Trump said staying in the locker room is just as bad as kneeling. How come this wasn't an issue until now? Is it just because of the attention? All players and staff were required to stay in the locker room until the NFL realized that patriotism equals profit. Yeah, look, this is just the president looking for a way to continue to pick on the NFL. And that's what he's done. And the NFL apparently thought that if they changed their policy... If they say players have to stand for the anthem and anyone who doesn't want to stand has to stay in the locker room, that that would be enough. Didn't they talk to the president? Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner, admitted in his sworn testimony as part of the Colin Kaepernick collusion grievance that he'd had a conversation with the White House and the president said, you can't beat me on this. This is a winning issue for me. Don't you think somebody would have called the president at some point and said, hey, here's what we're thinking about doing, if we do this, are we good? Are we clear here? Are we square? If we say you got to stand on the sideline and if you don't want to stand, you know, we can't force these guys to stand. We can't have them stand against their wishes. Or we're we're going to have them in the locker room. Are you okay with that? Is that okay? Good. And maybe they did. Maybe they did. And he said, yes. And he reneged on it. I'd love to know the truth there. I mean, it's either that the NFL was negligent to the point of reckless for not checking before changing its policy, or the NFL did check, the president did say, I'm fine with that, and now he's sticking it to him. And didn't we know this was going to happen when they changed the policy? This is one of the first things I said. You can't win here if you're the NFL. You really can't. You either stick with the current policy and run the risk of the president pouncing when people protest during the anthem, or you do this half-measure and the president's going to, number one, declare victory and rub your face in it. And number two, he's going to complain about the fact that guys are allowed to stay in the locker room. I think, think about that vision that the president and his base have of America. That you can be compelled to stand. You should be compelled to stand for the national anthem. Even if you would conscientiously use that opportunity to not stand in order to bring attention to a cause that you genuinely believe is very important. And that if you don't stand, maybe you shouldn't be in the country. Think about that. 
All right. I didn't want to go back down that path, but I was answering the question from the PFTPM posse. The next one comes via Pip Graville, PFTPM posse member. Could Tom Brady be trying to goad Bill Belichick into cutting slash disciplining him at which point, at which point Tom Brady can be self-righteously indignant and disrespected and just walk away, making Bill even more the bad guy and Mrs. Brady happy. I don't think that that's what he's trying to do. But if it happens, I mean, where would he go? Who else would he play for? I think I asked Tom Curran. Was it Tom Curran or somebody else? Would Tom Brady ever play for another team? And the thinking is he would never play for another team. I think it was Tom Curran on PFT Live within the last week or so. I can't imagine that. I don't know what he's trying to do. I just think that he's had enough of Bill Belichick. And it reached critical mass. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to do what I can. I'm just going to do what I can. I don't have to attend. I'm not going to attend. I'm going to spend time with my family. And if they want me there, well, they know how to get me there. They can rectify this dramatic imbalance between what I am making and what Marion is making. Another question from Pip Graville. During the Kaepernick depositions, which owner was most likely to say or want to say, you're damn right we blackballed him? <laughs> Is that the Nathan Jessup? Did one of them break? You got damn right I did! I don't know. Bob McNair? I think Jerry Jones would do it and be, be happy. I Look, no one's saying much about how these depositions went, but when you think about... The concerns Jerry Jones had about the commissioner and that this was his opportunity to kind of say his piece unfiltered. I have a feeling they're happy with Jerry Jones' deposition. I have a feeling Jerry Jones' deposition was cathartic for him and useful to Kaepernick. Uh, Let's see. PFTPM Posse wants to know if I found out anything about the Leisureman podcast ad that is being broadcast on the front end of the PFTPM podcast. If you aren't receiving anything, I will unsubscribe and delete my rating and review. Now, why would you do that to me, PFTPM posse? Here's what they're telling me. That apparently this is something that all of the Westwood One NBC podcasts do. It's kind of like a courtesy, like ads for the PFTPM podcast are showing up on other podcasts. So it's not it's not a paid endorsement. It's a mutual back-scratching. And we're in the process of of putting together a written agreement as we get closer and closer to the potential for a sponsor. We've got a few irons in the fire. We'll see how that goes. But uh, thank you for your concern. But everything's fine here. No need to to, uh, unsubscribe. Please don't unsubscribe. I guess you can unsubscribe and resubscribe. I I see in some places that that's good, to unsubscribe and resubscribe. I just feel like there's something, uh, I don't know, not completely... I don't know. I'm not comfortable with that. Just subscribe and stay subscribed. I don't want you to unsubscribe and then forget to resubscribe. Mike likes dirt. PFTPM posse member. Is there a realistic chance that Belichick told Brady and Gronkowski, if you want to do the Tom Brady 12 method, don't come to OTAs. If you don't want to do the program we have, don't distract the other guys. See you at camp. If that was the truth, we'd have heard about it by now. We'd, we'd know. We would know. Somebody would have leaked it by now. Don Yee would have told Shefty. Somebody would have said something to someone. Here's one from my burner account. Better attorney, Jackie Childs or Frank Costanza's lawyer. You know who Frank Costanza's lawyer was, don't you? The man in the cape? You know who that was. Larry David. When you go back and watch the old Seinfeld episodes, cognizant of 
how Larry David looks and how he sounds. You're amazed at how many times he pops up. We all know that he was George Steinbrenner's voice, but he pops up a lot. His voice pops up a lot. He was the original voice of Newman when Newman was going to jump off of the apartment building, and they went back and redubbed it for syndication with Wayne Knight's voice instead. The time that George Costanza has the $20 bill that has something drawn on it, and he's dressed in the old movie costume, and and he tries to use the 20 The guy who says, uh, sorry, I can't take this. That's uh, Sorry, your highness, I can't take this. That's uh, Larry David. He pops up a lot. His voice shows up a lot. He shows up a lot. I think, is it accurate? You know when they bust Kramer, when they think he's the smog strangler, and they show up, at his apartment and they open the door and there's all these people standing there, including George and Jerry. I think Larry David's one of the people standing there. I think, I mean, I may have to check that out. I may be misremembering or just like conjuring up a false recollection, but I think Larry David's one of the people standing there. These are important. I, you know what? I'd rather talk about Seinfeld than the other stuff that we've been talking about. And speaking of the other stuff we've been talking about, Terry Gensler, was the invitation of the White House a political stunt from the beginning, like the Pence walkout of the Colts 49ers game? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what politicians do. They engage in political stunts. It was absolutely a stunt, without question. What else do we have here? PFTPM Posse. You made the point on PFT Live that 99.99% of the players stand for the anthem. How come nobody mentions that besides you? Not even the NFL, any of the teams, etc. bring that up in their own or the players' defense or bring up the NFL's own poll results. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I See, there's a reluctance by the NFL to fight. The NFL will fight anyone and everyone. They will fight you economically. They will fight you legally. They will fight you via PR functions and strategies. They're not fighting the president. They're afraid of the president. Isn't that weird? The NFL, which is afraid of no one, is afraid of a guy that couldn't buy his way into the club. One of the masterminds behind the USFL, the failed football league that the NFL helped destroy. They'll fight everyone except the president. And at some point, when the strategy of running and hiding isn't working, at some point, you got to turn, you got to stand up, and you got to fight back. And I'm shocked they won't do it. The players are the ones who are doing it. The players are the ones who deserve the respect here for fighting back. Because, like I said earlier, they're the only ones who aren't lying to suit whatever their agenda is. They're telling the truth about how they feel, they're telling the truth about why they protest, they're telling the truth about why they support their teammates who do. They're the only ones who are worthy of praise in all of this. Because with them, we are getting true, real, unfiltered, unvarnished truth. You may disagree with their truth, but you can take to the bank that they are being honest and genuine and authentic with you. Gabe, 56 life. My wife and I argue about the term I could care less. She swears it's I couldn't care less. I heard you say it today on PFT Live. Can you clear it to me, please? Clarify it to me, please. Obviously, it's accurate to say I couldn't care less. When you say I could care less, it's kind of a sarcastic twist on it. Because when you say I could care less, that means you you do care. You could care less if you wanted to. I couldn't care less is technically accurate. Both are acceptable as far as I'm concerned. If you want my input, I say both are fine. Because... I think we get the point when it's used, either way.
PFTPM policy. Jerry spoke with Trump about the anthem policy before it was rolled out and was told this is a very winning, strong issue for me. Tell everybody you can't win this one. It lifts me if they... It was lose-lose, so why piss off all sides by caving to him? That's not a smart business move. And that gets back to what we said two weeks ago in the aftermath of the new anthem policy. Why are you doing this? Why are you taking a bad situation and making it worse and pissing off everyone in an effort to cater to the niche of the audience that is pro-Trump, pro-anthem, over the top, thou shalt stand for the anthem or leave the country? You're going to piss them off with this new policy, and you're going to piss other people off that you just choose to ignore for now. It really makes no sense. What else do we have here? The real Forno you mentioned last week, if the NFLPA might have the ability to avoid the CBA because of the new anthem rule, is there any chance that would happen? I don't think, did I say that? We talked about voiding the CBA over the Colin Kaepernick collusion grievance. I don't think they can void the CBA over the new anthem rule. They can fight back. I don't know that you void the CBA. But you can fight back and you can say it's a violation of the CBA. You can maybe come up with a legal argument. I saw a link today. I haven't had a chance to explore this yet, but apparently in various states there is a constitutional problem where, you know, the state constitution may give greater rights than the federal constitution does. The federal First Amendment only protects you against governmental consequence of efforts to restrict speech. Private employment, that doesn't matter. But there may be states out there, and that's on my list of things to get to. I want to write about this article that someone sent to me. That, that may make it a constitutional issue in various states, and that's another thing the NFLPA can do. I hope they are thinking of something. I hope they are coming up with something that they plan to use. There's got to be a way to fight back legally against what, what really is. And, and one person explained it to me this way a couple of weeks back. It's been more than a couple of weeks now. I don't know. It all blurs together. But th- there's a concept in the law, and it's called different things, but estoppel. I remember when I first heard that term in law school, I was like, what the hell is that? Estoppel. What is estoppel? It's a concept in equity. And see, equity is a mindset in the court system where the courts tell people what to do. That's an equitable remedy. A legal remedy is you ran over my pinky toe with your car and I spent $50,000 to get it reattached and I had pain and suffering and I had lost wages because I couldn't work after my pinky toe had been reattached. And so I want money to compensate me for what happened. Those are legal remedies. Equitable remedies are my neighbor has built this giant, ugly sculpture of Woody Woodpecker in his yard and it violates the zoning ordinance or it violates the agreement at the subdivision that we live in. And so I want him to be forced to take it down. When a court says you got to take that down, that's an equitable remedy. So the equitable theory here is that by giving the players the right to protest in the 2009 policy that was clumsily written to force the players to come out of the locker room in the first place, by confirming the existence of that right in 2016 when Colin Kaepernick was first spotted sitting during the anthem, and by reiterating it last year after the shit hit the fan in Huntsville, Alabama, with the president making a big issue out of something that had largely died down. Three different occasions, the NFL either acknowledged or reiterated the existence of that right. You can't just take it away now. Whether you have to have bargaining with the union or whether you go to court and say it's a violation of equitable principles because people have relied to their detriment on this right that you've given them, you can't just take it away. You can't just, with the stroke of a pen, 
say that thing that I've let you do, you now can't do. So there's a lot of different ways this can go. All right, what else do we have? Terry Gensler, do you think that because Trump is going after a specific team that he will receive more blowback based on the way fan bases behave, specifically this one, hashtag fly Eagles fly? Yeah, look, I, I think that where they probably crossed the line with the Eagles fan base is when the White House tried to say that the Eagles in some way disrespected their fans by not showing up. I mean, come on. Do you think any Eagles fan is going to think that? And isn't that the kind of thing that may snap someone out of that that spell that they put themselves under so they can basically say, yes, I agree completely with everything the president does? I mean, if you're a hardcore Trump supporter and a hardcore Eagles fan, what happens to you today? What do you do? If you have to pick between one or the other, who are you picking? Especially when common sense is telling you, you know... My guy in the White House probably is in the wrong here. He should just leave my team alone. And he shouldn't try to tell me that my team doesn't care about me. Brady's comment is something that I I won't repeat. It's a response to the Terry Gensler question, but it's available on Twitter if you would like to see what Brady had to say. The Real Forno says, with the NFL TV negotiations coming up in a couple of years, how will that impact the TV deals for the AAF and the XFL? Will ESPN shy away to try and help their relationship with the NFL? I I think it's apples and oranges, right? I mean, CBS has a deal with the AAF, and I assume someone will strike a deal to televise the XFL. As long as it's off-season, and as long as these leagues are trying to position themselves to be complementary to the NFL and maybe give the... the, uh, the NFL players who are better suited to come in and play and maybe something that the NFL could buy at some point. Although I think, again, the NFL more likely to buy the AAF than the XFL. I I don't think it's an issue. I really don't. Brady wants me to get Mike Reese on the podcast. Best beat reporter out there. Always has the scoop on New England. We'll add him to the list. Although, have we tried to get anybody from ESPN yet? I wonder if they'll let me do it. Well, maybe we'll ask just to see if they'll let me do it. On tour forever, we finally have some XFL news. What do you think about Oliver Luck being the new XFL commissioner? I, I'm intrigued by it. I really am. I, I'm very intrigued by it. I, I'd love to know who else they considered. It was a headhunting firm, essentially, that identified Oliver Luck. He's been an executive at the pro level. He was the athletics director at West Virginia University. He had a position high up with the NCAA. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I am very intrigued by it. PFT PM Posse CEO Amy Trask would have been a very interesting choice as well. I wonder if they talked to her about it. I wonder if she was on their list. And one of the things I was going to ask Oliver, and there's no, there's no easily tactful way to do this. I, I, I was going to ask him, how long's your contract? I want to get a feel for how, how much of a commitment this is from Vince McMahon. But you know what? The bottom line is this. It's going to be a five-year contract. That doesn't mean they're going to play five years. If they reach the point where they realize we're just pouring money down a hole here, they'll stop and they'll just make buying out Oliver Luck the cost of doing business to wrap the thing up. My guess is they had people under contract beyond 2001 when they pulled the plug on the XFL the last time around. The Impact 99 is the Oliver Luck announcement, a big enough shell launched by the XFL to keep up with the AAF's progress so far. No, the XFL is still a year behind. Oliver Luck said, 30 cities under consideration. 
I don't know when they're going to pick a team, and they haven't come up with what rules they're going to use. they got a long way to go. I think it was always the plan to come back in 2020, and I think they got ahead of themselves a little bit just so they would have something out there while the AAF begins the process of populating cities with teams and hiring coaches and moving closer to playing. I mean, the AAF's getting a head start. And I'm sure in hindsight, Vince McMahon wishes he had moved a little faster. I think giving the AAF a chance to have a year all to itself. It's kind of like the Rams in L.A. a full year before the Chargers came. The AAF's in a position to take advantage of that head start, and it's going to make it hard for the XFL to catch up. I'm not saying they can't, it's just going to make it hard. The real Forno, is there a place where us diehard NFL fans can watch old football games on demand? I'd love to go back and watch the Houston Oilers run and shoot. I think on YouTube, they have... Didn't they do that? Wasn't there like great fanfare? They picked the best historical games and the full games are on there. What did I trip over not that long ago? It was the Vikings-Rams Mud Bowl playoff game from 1977 or 78. There are full games on there. I think the full Hail Mary games on there. I, I don't know if the full Immaculate Reception games on there. There are some old games that are on there. I'll, I'll try to remember. I'll like this tweet here, Tyler, and I'll... Uh, I'll try to find a link to an old Houston Oilers game. I have a feeling you don't you don't want the Bills Oilers. You don't want that game, do you? I'll try to find one other than that. Andrew Yeh, what do you do to fill your time on a flight? Ever listen to podcasts? I you know, I I get on with the intention of working the whole way, and I never do. I just I feel like you know, I'm just going to kind of zone out. I'll read. I read Animal Farm. Almost all of it on the way to California. I'll watch whatever movies are available. I'll download shows ahead of time and watch them. What movies? I watched The Battle of the Sexes with Emma Stone and Steve Carell on the way out to California. And they were just, eh. You know, when you do a movie that is set 40 years in the past, it needs to feel like it. And it's, it, it can't just look like it. It needs to feel like it. And it didn't feel like it. It felt like modern day with people wearing old costumes. There needs to be something in the lighting. There needs to be something in in the quality of the film that makes it feel like it's older. It just didn't it didn't it didn't feel to me like it was early nineteen seventies. They did a nice job weaving in old footage of Howard Cosell when they had the actual tennis match. If you don't know the story, it was during the height of the the initial effort to get equality for women in the workplace and pretty much everywhere. And Bobby Riggs, who at the time was in his mid fifties, decided to challenge Billie Jean King. I didn't realize, or I knew, but I had forgotten that he had played Margaret court and beaten her easily. And that made him overly confident that he would handle Billie Jean King because at the time Margaret court was the number one tennis player in the world. But Billie Jean King, spoiler alert, if you didn't already know she wins. So I watched that on the way out. Yeah. I watched the Phantom Thread on the way back, which was just a weird. It was a very, it was a very uh, visually fascinating. And Daniel Day Lewis, anything he does, I mean, he becomes that character. But it it was weird. There was it was weird. The key scene, like this thing, could go fifty different ways, and the way that it goes, you don't see that coming. So that's all I'll say about that. In case you watch it, it's a long movie though. It takes you know you got to invest your time, two hours and ten minutes or thereabouts. I was. I've been carrying around the Stephen King book, Mr. Mercedes, on my phone for like three years. And I've started two different times to read it. And uh, 
instead of picking up where I left off, I decided, screw it, I'll try one more time. I went back to the start because there was going to be stuff I'd forgotten. So I'm working my way through that again. I'll let you know. If anybody's read it, Give me a give me something. Do I should I keep going or should I just bail on it? It's just weird. And I know Stephen King is incredibly prolific, and he's a great writer. The prose in this, it's just, it it feels like it's not. There's just something about the prose, and maybe he's doing it deliberately. I don't know. Maybe he was trying to make something that feels like like a a, a gritty you know cop. But I don't know. It just the prose isn't. It's okay. It just doesn't. It doesn't feel like other stuff. Stephen King has done. I guess when you crank out that much, I mean, not all of it's going to be great, right? But uh, I'm giving it another try, and uh, who knows? That'll be the that'll be maybe something I I finish reading once things slow down in a couple of weeks, if they ever do slow down. I don't know that they will. I probably oh boy, we're up to an hour and twenty minutes. Let's see what else we have here before we wrap it up. Plenty of great questions today. Thank you for that, as always. Let's see. Recliner QB, if this anthem issue is this big of a deal during the slow time, what will happen during training camp, preseason, regular season? Trump won't let this go, especially as he seeks to deflect attention to anything other than his own legal issues slash Russia. I agree. I agree. If if this is a big deal in June, just wait until September, especially now that the players are once again going to feel like they've been challenged. They don't take that very well. Matt Yvonne, Matt and Beantown, given that Marin Rogers' game is predicated largely on his in-pocket mobility, is it not reasonable to expect his play to decline as he approaches 40? Considering his injury history, why would Green Bay give him an extension as opposed to riding out the last four years and drafting a quarterback? Well, that's, I mean, that's part of the reality here. And we drafted today on PFT Live the teams most likely to get back to the playoffs that didn't make it in 2017. And the first pick for Chris Sims was Aaron Rodgers. I said, so, I mean, you're comfortable with a guy who's had 40% of his last five seasons derailed by a broken collarbone. And at a certain point, you become known as injury prone. Now, Tom Brady's in-pocket mobility is one of his strong suits. I think Aaron Rodgers uses more, not just sliding around, but movement, raw movement. And at some point, it is going to catch up with him. And the Packers have him for four more years. And I did the math. I think it's like four years and about $100 million if you play it year to year. Something like that. So to give that up, right, what, what kind of a deal does it take? Because the Packers have to say, nah, nah, we're... Well, they don't have to. I'm saying they could say, well, we're fine with, with what we currently have. We'll, we'll go with four more years and then you can leave if you want to. Or we'll make you an offer to stay. And if you choose to leave, you can be the bad guy like Brett Favre was. All right, let's see what else we have. Matt and Beantown have high-profile quarterbacks negotiated contracts that paid them a certain percentage of the salary cap. Would that not add protection for teams should revenues in the annual cap decrease? Absolutely, but the, the, the cap's not going down. The only way the cap would go down is if we get to 2021 and they do something with the CBA that causes the cap to restrict like it did in 2011, but I don't see that happening. Let's see what else we got. I probably should wrap it up. You've been very patient to listen this long. Looking for one to finish with. How about Sergio? Sergio D, tell us about your NorCal weekend. Uh, let, let me just summarize it as briefly as I can. We flew out on Thursday, late afternoon. Long flight. Weird. Just that that whole jet lag concept and, and the three-hour time difference and I mean, by the time we got to the hotel, it was 10 o'clock at night, and I was just dragging. I think that was the night, as soon as we checked in, I went to bed, and I passed out for nine hours. 
And I think I was fine after that, but I was like waking up at 6 a.m. every day, wide awake, 6 or 5 a.m. every day. Because I, I just couldn't, it was like sleeping in East Coast time. So I'm not sure I ever completely made the uh, adjustment. I think on the way back coming home, I, I, it, was, it was easy to put the three hours back on. But Matt Casey, who serves as the, I think it's executive producer of PFT Live. And and I think at some point I'm going to get him more involved in PFT PM as we try to make it a little more structured. He's got some good ideas on how to make things work, how to make things interesting. He got married out there at a winery, beautiful Trenta Dew Winery, right next to the Francis Ford Coppola Winery. We went there, Jill and I did, on Sunday just to kind of poke around. They got the Godfather desk. They, they've got different items of movie memorabilia from Francis Ford Coppola's films. It was kind of neat. I mean, but like after an hour, it's like, okay, we've seen everything. Let's go. But uh, it was a neat destination wedding and uh, we had a ball. It, it was, it was a nice few days and it was like instant, instantly relaxing to just get away from the routine. Even though I worked plenty, I mean, I didn't shut it down because there were still things that had to be done, but uh, it was just kind of nice to be away. It was nice to be in a different environment for a few days, but it's also very nice to come home. It was very nice to come home. Down in the barn last night watching game four of the Stanley Cup final, hanging out with my son. My brother-in-law came over, smoked a cigar, watched a little hockey. It was just, it's very nice to be home. I'm very happy to be back in my routine, and that includes doing PFT PM every weekday, at least as often as we can. And PFT Live, up until June 22, that's when we start the hiatus, but PFT PM will continue Quick summary for the rest of the week. Charlie Ebersol tomorrow, the co-founder of the AAF. Greg Rosenthal on Thursday, PFT alum. He was at the wedding, and uh, we hung out, we talked, and uh, inevitably I said, let's do the PFT PM podcast. He said, absolutely, so off we go. Ross Tucker was at the wedding, and he is politicking very aggressively to be invited, which means he's not going to be. He's going to be the guest equivalent of stats Terrell Owens, I think we may have him at some point this week. I can't remember which day. And then what else do we have? Possibly Josh Rosen on Friday. You know what? And now that I'm thinking of it, I may not be able to do this Thursday. I may have to bump Rosenthal to Friday. I have to check into that. But uh, that's the tentative plan over the next few days, the rest of the week. We, we, we may look into Mike Reese. Um, feel free to recommend others that you'd like to have on the PFTPM podcast. Thanks to Oliver Luck for his time today. And uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on the XFL, the AAF, and most importantly, the NFL. And hopefully we won't have any flaming bags of poop that we have to stamp out between now and the next time we do this. Have a great day. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.